0: Good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Steiner. This is BRNAM for Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. And our top story today, ESG investing isn't designed to save the planet. Well, joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Kenneth Pucker is a senior lecturer at the Tufts Fletcher School, and Andrew King is a professor at the Questrom School of Business at Boston University. Ken, Andy, thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
1: Thanks for, thanks having, for us. having us.
0: You, you gentlemen wrote a really interesting piece in the Harvard Business Review about ESG. And ESG is something that we talk about on this network quite a bit. And, and Ken, I want to come to you first to kind of kick off the conversation. ESG isn't just about saving the planet. That's the title title of your uh, of your article. It's not about saving the planet. It's a lot more than that.
2: Actually, I think we contend that it's a lot less than that. You know, uh, it would be nice were people to be able to invest their money behind their values and get both impact, planetary impact and financial benefit. And it's a narrative that has been sold by many in the asset management industry for the last about 10 years. But it turns out that it's hard to do. And while there are instances where one can get that win-win, it's a lot less frequently than we would hope.
0: And Andy, I want to pick up on that because, you know, this is, as I, as I introed uh, this segment, I mean, this is something that has really just picked up. And if you're not down with ESG... Uh, Maybe you're not down with saving the planet, but to Ken's point, um, it's really hard to align each of our individual values uh, when we're investing our monies.
1: Right. But following on what Ken said, the value that is being advanced in most ESG, ESG is such a big thing that it's, you know, it's really hard to put your hands around it, is advancing your own return. So if you look at something like the principles for responsible investing, which say that they're going to be principled by investing in ESG, the point of that is to increase returns. They're not saying it's going to improve impact. They're saying it's going to increase returns. So if you're putting money in ESG, the main thing you're hoping to get and the main thing I think you are even being promised that you can get is is returns, whether you get them or not. That's another question.
0: Yeah. Now, can I ask you as a follow to that, Andy, uh, when you look at the data, uh, you, you, do, you go to like a Morningstar or one of these other uh, entities that tracks this, are investors getting the return? Are they getting the bang for their buck, at least initially? And I want to get into the who, how, why in a minute, but are they getting the bang for their buck?
1: Well, it depends on who you listen to. So certainly (laughs) if you look at some of the the back-tested investments that are made and and advocated particularly by sell-side people in those kinds of companies, you'll see some returns. You'll see those graphs expanding, and look, they did better. On the academic front, the the evidence is much sparser, and in some cases I think it's been overstated. In fact, some of the work that I've been doing has been to rein in some of the uh, claims by the academics.
0: So I don't think we really see... We see it confidently on the academic side, yeah. And, and Ken, let me let me come over to you because I want to follow up the question I asked Andy and and, and give it to you, but also there's so as an a layperson, um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that get branded a certain way, but it it can be very confusing. I mean, there's like you know, 50 different flavors when you go to the local Baskin Robbins or whatever your favorite ice cream a venue is, right? Uh, Ben and Jerry's, whatever. Um, And it's confusing. It's hard to make a choice. So how do you, doesn't this confuse investors?
2: I think that's a great point. Um, In the U.S. right now, there's very little regulation over how an asset manager can brand a fund. And so you'll see that many funds have been labeled ESG are just funds that were rebranded from traditional vanilla funds so a good example is vanguard has a fund its largest esg fund and longest standing is almost one-to-one correlated with the s p 500 it's just branded as an esg fund what you can be reasonably certain of though as an investor is that you'll pay higher fees for funds that are branded esg and so typically on average esg funds charge about 40 percent more than traditional funds which i think also gives us pause and makes me think at least that over time, the returns will be less from ESG funds.
0: Just to follow up on that, I mean, it's, it's if I'm going to pay 40% more uh, for ESG, um, what's the argument for paying more if I'm going to get the same return or similar return to an S&P 500 fund? I mean, if I'm just buying something that's just been rebranded, reshelved, and we're picking a little bit on Vanguard, but there are others as well, Uh, What's the value for the investor?
2: There could be two sources of value. One is, like Andy was saying, ESG funds um, are based on, uh, are supposed to be based on um, the fund contents being better managers of risks associated principally with climate but other changes in the planetary system. And so if, in fact, there are better managers of those risks over time those companies should perform better and you should generate higher returns that's what's being sold so one thing that's being sold is returns the second is whether you are able to also advance planetary welfare so maybe you want to pay more for a fund if you think that it's going to help contain climate change or help reduce income inequality it's our contention that in probably over ninety percent of the incidences Impact planetary impact isn't even measured, and fund managers aren't compensated on the basis of being able to deliver impact as a result. So it's very unlikely that the vast majority of ESG funds are having a planetary impact that's positive.
0: Yeah, Andy, I want to come back to you, and then I need to go to a commercial break, gentlemen. But uh, right. just to kind of build on what what Ken was saying, um, you know, as a re- if there's regulators out there watching the program. Uh, One, it sounds like, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth or or Ken's mouth, but it sounds like we need more regulation potentially around how these products are being defined um, for the best interest of the customer. I mean, most people, again, they're like me. They're lay people. They may not be experts in investments. They may not be an expert in E, S, and G. They just know that they have this piece of money that they want to invest, presumably for the long term, and that they want to do good with it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are two, two big, big things. One is it's important to remember that, and this needs to be regulated or at least the, the marketing of it does, that ESG, most ESG now, is not the effect of the firm on the planet. It's the effect on changes in the planet on the firm. So it's not like your money is going towards good. It's that it's just trying to figure out what risks you'll face as regulation changes and climate changes and stuff like that. So that's single materiality. And we need to understand that we also want to know how the firm affects the planet, both directions, number one. Number two is the measures are all over the place. There's some really excellent research to show that the the different measurement companies don't often correlate very well on how they're measuring that first part, the single materiality. And we need standardization of that.
0: Well, gentlemen, as I said, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about ESG Investing. And we'll break it all down for you. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future.
1: and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I I liked what he was saying.
0: Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit.
1: Seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me.
0: All it takes is one call to get started.
1: Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score.
0: Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation.
2: Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152.
0: Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. We're talking this morning to Ken Pucker of Tufts Fletcher School, and Andy King of the Questron School of Business at Boston University. Ken, Andy, thanks so much for staying with us this morning. Sure. We, we certainly appreciate you lending a little bit of your time. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm back in, back in class again, uh, which I think is a good thing. I always like learning. I like to be a lifetime learner and a lifetime practitioner. Andy, I want to pick up the conversation because as you and Ken were talking about this, uh, I'm a veteran of the US retirement industry over 30 years in the space and what I what I seemed to hear from you was very similar in that active versus passive debate and, and that is what's the manager doing to to generate additional alpha or value to the customer to uh you know to uh, realize the additional fee that they're charging versus a passive manager am am I, am I right about that
1: yeah, I mean I think that's the t- direction that's the direction of my thinking too. So in in the 90s I was involved in some of the early companies that were interested in trying to measure ESG. And the point of that was to give exactly what you're saying, managers more information so that they could better quick pick what they thought were highly well-managed companies that would have higher return. And so that's I think the underlying logic. What's happened over time I think is you've gotten almost flavors of greenness. Ken and I talk about light green firms, which are branded ESG. They probably aren't active. They're just, it's almost labeling. Maybe there's a little screening and then you got deep green ones that are doing much more intensive research and, 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 and analysis. And, and, and I think that's one of the problems is that you've got to be really clear on what you're
0: getting. Yeah. And it can just, to, I want to get you to follow up on what Andy said, but, um, it does sound to me like there's you know this is not a mature market or maybe it's my lay perception this is something that is beginning and growing so that we need more disclosure from firms but how do you see it is this similar to active versus passive and are we are we going to get with maturation more disclosure
2: well active versus passive is really relevant in this context because you're right to note that there was a big shift in the asset management industry from um, funds that were actively managed to ones with lower fees that were passively managed ESG investing from the asset manager side of things is a way to uh, have fees go back up because if they're charging 40 percent more it fights against the trend you described which was from active to passive so I think it's a really relevant point your point about maturity is also true Um, estimates are that the ESG investing movement is now sized at around $35 trillion or one third of all professionally managed assets. But that's a big tent measurement based on self-declaration of what is constituted as ESG. It's more likely that a sober assessment would be that the industry is about a tenth the size right now. And so it is immature. And I do think we will end up with uh, regulations, certainly branding, and uh, what can be included in the ESG fund going forward.
0: So, so Andy, in the meantime, uh, there are many fiduciaries out there who have oversight of pension plans, 401k type plans, there are 4.3bs, four fifty sevens, maybe even other asset pools. I mean, how do you um, scrutinize uh, what is an evolving marketplace to ensure that you are delivering Benefit for for your your beneficiaries, right? I mean, that's ju- that's the role of a fiduciary. Your job is to make sure that you are acting in the best interest of these beneficiaries.
1: I think I'm above my pay grade here, but let me because that's, <laughs> okay. that's a big job. You know, but let me just say this: I think fiduciaries should think about in the early days when I was helping develop some of these measures. We didn't even call it ESG. ESG wasn't invented until 2004, I think. It was just other information about the firm that might be helpful for letting you, you know, decide what their future returns would be. And I think you should think about it that way. Think about it, avoid the hype, avoid the all the advertising, and you just think, what can I do with these data that will allow me to be more responsible to my investors?
0: And, and, and Ken, kind of same question to you. But also, it sounds to me, and and again, there's there's a lot with getting people to save for retirement. In my mind, and I want to get your thoughts about this, is it more about communicating? Uh, So people who are uh, responsible, they're fiduciaries for assets, these types of plans, if they're going to add a fund, for example, you got to be able to communicate in some way your rationale as to why you and the committee selected the fund and and what you know how does that adhere to the value and benefits to the beneficiary
2: well two things one is the sec is currently looking at uh, a new branding and naming regulation for esg funds going forward so i think they're aware that the hype has gotten a bit out of control the second thing is i didn't mean earlier to pick on vanguard because you're right to note that most asset managers now have esg products including BlackRock, and State Street, and all the other large asset management firms. But were I to try to give someone advice about how to maximize returns, I would actually advocate for Vanguard's methodology, which emphasizes low fees.
0: Yeah, really important. At the end of the day, uh, and we're talking about the person on the street, right? They're, They're investing. They could be a retail investor. They could be a retirement investor. They're investing traditionally for the long term. They're not arbitraging. They're not doing day trading, right, gentlemen? So- it's about trying to maximize the value. Last question before we end the segment, gentlemen, and maybe I'll start with you, Andy. Where do you see this all kind of, you've obviously been working with ESG type funds for a while. Uh, you've seen this thing kind of develop. Where do, where do we, what, what does it, this marketplace look like maybe a year from now or, or even, I'm going to get you to get, look at that crystal ball, uh, maybe five years out from now?
1: Well, correction, I I've mostly been on the measurement side, but sure. I mean okay. But and I think that's a big issue. Again, I think there is thirst for impact. So not just return, but there's thirst for impact. And I think knowing how we're going to measure impact and whether we can even do it well is the area that I think there's going to be changing the most rapidly in the next couple of years. And so I think you'll see over you know you'll see overclaiming on impact you'll see doubt about impact you'll see refinement on measurement but i think it's a lot of it's going to be about funds now moving towards claiming impact that would be my guess
0: ken just as a follow-up to this piece uh you and andy uh have done a lot of research what's the future look like i mean are you going to you and andy going to continue to follow uh this marketplace is it of a particular interest to you, to you both And and what's the next in terms of your um, analysis?
2: Well, I think what's of interest to us in general is to try to help bridge the chasm between rhetoric and reality. And um, what I hope happens is I hope that the good tools that have been invented to help investors understand the future future prospects of companies, looking at ESG-type measures, I hope they get incorporated into traditional fundamental investing. And that fundamental investing doesn't have a separate moniker called ESG, but that there are funds that are truly impact funds, like Andy said, that do have requirements for measurement of impact. And so it would be great, I think, five years hence if we had a traditional fundamental investing market that incorporated ESG tools, if ESG as a moniker went away and we had a separate growing uh, area of impact funds.
0: Well, let's hope the regulators are listening, whoever is developing these uh, these brand specs or these disclosures. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to have to see uh, what becomes of all this, but we look forward to having you both back on the program again very soon. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, Somebody you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle wellness, finance tech, So much more all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives? Check out our latest content. We'll visit our website and, of course, our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.